0: Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God, every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout, lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counsellor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales... He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. With whom, then, will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it. And a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. Keep your Bibles open
1: there, let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your word. Uh, we thank you that in it you uh, reveal your plans and purposes, your heart and mind, But in it you also give us challenge and also comfort. And we pray today, Father, that uh, as we understand more of who you are, that that might give us great encouragement and, uh, and comfort in our faith and trust in you and in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. I've got a little book here that I'm a little bit embarrassed about. Um, But it's a book that I've made up. Uh, You can see it's all handwritten and the pages are yellow. Uh, The the price tag says it was bought at Grace Brothers for 72 cents. So it was when some of you have never heard of Grace Brothers because you're too young and some of you have never seen one and two cent coins. But that's how old this book is. Uh, And uh, and I've been compiling this book. And in, in this book are handwritten quotes of inspiration that I've been collecting Over the last uh, 30 years or so. Let me read some of them to you, and I hope you're as inspired as I have been by these things. Uh, For example, if there aren't any valleys, there aren't any mountains to climb. A ship in a harbour is safe, but that is not what ships are made for. That was on a commercial not so long ago. Tough times never last. But tough people do. Brings a tear to your eye, doesn't it? Uh, this, I like this one. This is from a philosopher. Uh, that which does not kill me makes me stronger. Anyone know who said that? Uh, nah, Nietzsche. Nietzsche, that's right. Uh, do not pray for an easy life. Pray to be a stronger man or woman. This is old, so stronger man. (laughs) Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. It's good stuff, isn't it? Anyway, there's lots more of those where that came from. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I think most of us have that kind of stuff. You know, we might have it on a poster on the wall or a little magnet on the fridge. You know, I love that one with the... Uh, the poster of the little cat that's hanging on the handle of a basket about to fall into the basket of wool uh, underneath and it says, hang in there. Some of you might have that poem on your wall or on your fridge or in your purse or wallet. Footprints in the sand. Terrible stuff. These things give you a little bit of help, don't they? They give you a little bit of comfort. They give you a bit of an emotional cuddle when you need it in the tough times. Well, today I want to show you something from God's word that I hope will cause you to tear those things up and replace and give you something to replace in your wallet or on your wall or on your fridge. I'm not going to tear this up because it's good for illustrations. (laughs) But remember, as I mentioned before the Bible reading, uh, Isaiah 40 is directed towards God's people who are in exile in Babylon. Uh, And things look pretty hopeless for God's people at this stage. They are stateless, nationless, powerless They have nothing, they have no status, they have no standing, and they have little hope for the future. You could call them at this point in time cursed. Now I want you to firstly, as we go through Isaiah 40, put yourselves in their position, that you are in exile, you're suffering, you're homeless, you're countryless. And you could forgive God's people... Uh, For thinking that God has abandoned you, that God has abandoned us, and deservedly so, if he did. And you could be thinking, and you would be thinking, how long will we suffer for here in exile under the Babylonians? And you uh, you could understand them thinking, is this it for us? Is this it for God's people? Is it all over? And God, through his prophet, could very well say to his people, well, I told you so. I told you so. Why didn't you listen to me? 39 chapters I've been telling you of the punishment to come. If you keep being unfaithful to me, if you stop trusting in me, how many times did I tell you that judgment was coming, that it was on the way? It serves you right. You've only got yourselves to blame for the position that you're in. That's what I would say to them. Let's see what God says to them. Come with me to chapter 40 of Isaiah and verse 1. Look at that with me. This is what God says to them. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Wow. Chapter 40 is like this big shift In gears from the previous 39 chapters, it's like a train coming out of a tunnel. You know that experience? You go from the loud, clackety racket to the sudden, uh, soothing, smooth, gentle, quiet rhythm as you exit the tunnel. Isaiah kind of moves from this pounding prophecy of judgment to the warming word of his comfort. Comfort, comfort, comfort. My people, speak tenderly to Jerusalem, or literally speak to the heart. And in the rest of Isaiah, the message of comfort and hope from God will dominate the prophet's words. Not entirely it's not entirely without warning, in the same way that the previous thirty nine chapters weren't entirely without hope. But what dominates is comfort. Now, what reasons do they have for comfort? And that's what I want to concentrate on as we look at the rest of Isaiah 40. What reasons do they have for comfort, number one? Comfort, number one. God has not abandoned them. Look at me again at verse one. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. That God still calls them my people means that he has not abandoned them and that he has not abandoned his promises to them. God made a covenant with them, that is, that he made promises to them and God is sticking to them. He is still with them. He is still their God and they are still his people. That is reason for them to be comforted. Second reason... Their sins have been paid for. Verse 2, look at that with me, verse 2. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed and that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. That is, they are not defeated and in exile simply because they were overpowered by the Babylonians. No, they are in exile as punishment for their sins. God simply used the Babylonians as an instrument to deliver his judgment that was due to them. Now at this point, as we talk about uh, their hard service being completed, that their sins have been paid for, you might think that we would just uh, uh, think that this verse ultimately is about Jesus being the one who pays for all sins, for all time, for all people. And that is true, ultimately it is. But I don't want to go there just yet because Isaiah doesn't go there just yet. And that'll actually unfold more and more as we look at the, the coming chapters of Isaiah. But when he says that your sins are being paid for to the, those people in exile, he just says it and let it, lets it ring out to them. The comfort here... Without explanation, without full explanation, I should say, the comfort here is that their sin has been paid for. Why else can they be comforted? That was a second reason. Why else can they be comforted? Three, God is coming. Remember, they're in exile in Babylon. God is coming. Look at verse three. A voice of one calling in the wilderness... Now, this verse is is talking about someone preparing the way for the Lord, which tells you that the Lord is coming. And when he comes, verse 5, the glory of the Lord will be revealed. Now, again, put yourself in the position of being exiled in Babylon. That's music to your ears that your Lord is coming. Now again, some of you might recognise those verses as talking about John the Baptist in the New Testament who prepares the way uh, for Jesus. And that is true, he does. Uh, But again, I don't want to go there just yet as we understand it from the position of the people in exile. It doesn't explain who will prepare the way. It tells them that God is coming. That's a third reason. Why they can be comforted? Why else can they be comforted? Comforted. Verse four, God's uh, promises endure forever. Remember at the end of verse five, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. He's coming, and the Lord has spoken. Look at verse six, and a voice says, "Cry out!" And I said, "What shall I cry?" All people are like grass. Verse six, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall. Because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Here, people and their faithfulness uh, and grass and flowers are compared and contrasted against God's word. People, their faithfulness flowers, grass, they fade, they die. They do not last. They will droop, they will sag, and they will go into the ground, turn to dust. That is the total opposite to the word of God. The word of God stands forever. That means it does not change, and it means it does not fade, and it does not die, it does not falter. If it stands forever, it is eternal That means what God says goes and it stays goes. It stands for all time. So you can trust it. Whatever God says will happen. And that's comforting for them. Remember, you're in exile. It's comforting because of all the promises that God has made to you. God will keep them. The promise to establish them. The promise that they will have a king in God's kingdom forever. The promise of a savior and a messiah. Those promises are still good and stand forever. That's the fourth reason. God's promises, his word endures. Fifth reason they can be comforted is because of who God is. Uh, at the end of verse 9, saying with a, with, a, with a loud shout, lift it up and do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. So who is this God? Well, verse 10. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. Pretty self-explanatory. The God that is coming, he is mighty and he is powerful. Well, how powerful is he? Verse 12 Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? How powerful is God? What it's saying here in verse 12 is that God holds the seas and the oceans in the hollow of his hand. That's how powerful he is. All the water on earth, just in the hollow of his hand. And his hand span measures the heavens. Say to God, how big are the heavens? God goes, that big. The mountains and the hills, verse 12, the mountains and the hills, well, God just weighs them on scales like they're a piece of fruit in the fruit shop. That's how powerful God is. But God's power is also in his knowledge and wisdom. It's not just about bigness and might. It's about his knowledge and wisdom, verse 13. Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counsellor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? In other words, who is more knowledgeable or wiser than God that they can teach God, that they can give him counsel? Well, there is no one. There's no one who knows more than him. There is no one who is wiser than God. So not only is almighty, he's all-knowledgeable and all-wise. This is your God, he's saying to the people in exile. Now in verse 15 to 17, I'm not going to spend too much time on that. In verse 15 to 17, that was read. He speaks about how the nations are nothing to God. Remember, you're in exile. You've been defeated by a monster nation. And there is no way the way that you look that you could ever fight back, humanly speaking. So it's good to know that the God who could just flick Babylon into human history if you wanted, is on your side. Verse 18 to 20 speaks about how God is so great, you cannot actually make an image of him because nothing can compare to him because he's absolute greatest. Any image, this is the problem with idolatry, any image that you make of God merely reduces God's greatness. It cannot capture his greatness because if he is greater than everything, then an image in anything will always be lesser than God. Now, in verse 21 to 26, he kind of recaps the same points. He doesn't really make new points here. He, real, he recaps the same points using slightly different examples. I want to read this one, though. Verse 21, look at that with me. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither And and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To who will you compare me or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name? Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Now, without going into detail, do you get the vibe? I think the vibe's pretty clear. God is huge. Just look at everything. That's how huge God is because God made it. Look at everything and anything. God did that. He unfolded the heavens like a picnic blanket. He hung the stars, all of them, like they were just fairy lights. People are like grasshoppers to him. The rulers and governments, he can just blow away. So should he choose. That is God. That is the Sovereign Lord who is coming. And what Isaiah is trying to say to the people in exile is, understand who is offering you comfort. Understand that it is God. Understand how great and mighty and wise and knowledgeable he is. Do you sometimes forget? Do you sometimes forget who God is? Do you sometimes forget how great God is? I think we all do. I think we all forget that. When we, when we don't think God can, we've all been there. Or when we question why in a very self-righteous way, we're forgetting who he is. Or when we think God should have. Or when we think God could have. Or when we don't pray. They're all examples of how we forget God and how we forget who God is. Israel forgot. Look at verse 27. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel? Both of those are just references to God's people. Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden? From the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God. That's their way of saying God can't see us. God can't see the painful circumstances that we are in. God can't see our suffering. Or if he can, he's just ignoring us. He's just disregarding us. Maybe because he's unable. Maybe because he's unwilling. And I guess in some ways that's not unreasonable to think because you can be powerful but uncaring. You can be mighty but you can be harsh at the same time. You can be powerful but not good. You can be great but not love. But God is not like that. Come back with me to verse 11. I deliberately left it out before. Let's come back to verse 11. In the midst of the greatness of God, verse 11, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs. In his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. That's a picture not of might and power, but of love, of caring, of a shepherd of a father cuddling his lambs in his arms, keeping them close to his heart. that's gentle and it's sensitive. God knows they're in exile. Of course he knows they're in exile. He put them there. He knows they're suffering. But he has not forgotten them. Nor has he forgotten his promises, his covenant promises. And it's not like in their suffering, he's just gone and having a rest, having a nap. It's not that God has somehow found another interest to keep him occupied. And it's certainly not that he is weakened in strength like the aging of men. No, he's the mighty God, but he's also their heavenly father. He's also the shepherd, and they are his lambs. And so, this is God's word to them. Verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. And they will walk and not be faint. The everlasting God. He has gone on forever. He will go on forever. And he made everything. So he doesn't get tired. He is not like us. And in verse 29, God gives of his everlasting strength to those who need it. And everyone does, don't they, verse 30? Because even young people, they grow tired and weary, stumble and fall. But those, verse 31, those who hope in the Lord. What does that mean? So hope in the Lord simply means this, that you keep trusting in him. You keep trusting him, looking forward to him fulfilling his promises. You keep trusting God, you keep trusting in his promises. And when you hope in the Lord, when you keep trusting in God, verse 31, God will renew your strength, God will renew their strength. And when he renews their strength, they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Now that's inspiring, isn't it? But what the heck does it mean? (laughs) Soaring on wings like eagles and not growing weary and all that. I mean, I still get tired. I still get weary. I still get faint. And I can tell you Most of the time, if not all the time, you could hardly say I'm soaring. And I'm pretty sure God's people in exile were like that too. So I want to ask, what does it actually mean? So it can actually be inspiring. As I said, beginning of verse 31, those who hope in the Lord, he's talking about to continue trusting in the Lord. And it's those who hope in the Lord whose strength is renewed, okay? So it's your strength in your trust in the Lord that is renewed. So the strength is to keep trusting. It's not growing weary in your trust in God. It's not growing faint in your hope in the Lord, And when the Lord in whom you have hope and trust, it is he that will give you what you need to keep having faith and to keep trusting in his promises. So yes, you may still be physically tired or emotionally or maybe mentally weary. But God will give you the strength to remain spiritually strong. That is to keep trusting. See, not only has God made them promises, but by his power and strength he can deliver on those promises. And by that same power he can give them the strength to keep trusting in him, trusting in him as they run the race of life and as they walk the path of faith. And so Isaiah's word to these people in exile is be comforted. Here is your God. He's big. He is mighty. But he's also your heavenly father, the great shepherd of the sheep who loves you. And he will give you strength to keep trusting in him and in his enduring word. That lasts forever. So be comforted. Well, what does this mean for us today? We are not in exile, uh, and we certainly live after Jesus. We live in the time where Jesus has already come, where Jesus has paid for all of our sins not just our sins, but their sins too. Where Jesus, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for all sins, for all people, for all time. And we also live in the time where we understand, of course, now that Jesus fulfills all the promises in Isaiah 40. In fact, Jesus fulfills all the promises in Isaiah. In fact, Jesus fulfills all the promises that God has made in the Old Testament. But more to that to come, as Isaiah folds, not going to take anybody, steal anyone's thunder who's coming after me. But what is happening here in Isaiah is a call to trust in God in the lowest of times. And that call is still relevant to us. In the hardest of moments, in the darkest of seasons, the Bible says, trust in the power of the God who can and trust in the arms of the Father who loves And of course for us, trust in the Lord Jesus, who died and rose for our sins, and lives to reign, and will return. This is the greatest comfort. You know, I'm sure our struggles are different from those in Isaiah's time, or the people that he's prophesying to. But the sense of sadness or abandonment can be very similar. For you, it might be to do with relationships or loneliness or anxiety or financial concern. It might be illness. It might be the hurting of the heart. It might be grief. Family might just be brokenness. And when the heart, when the ache of the heart knots the pits of our stomachs, when the pain doesn't dull, and when the tears won't stop, when trusting in God seems hard and heavy. When faith in Jesus, when our faith in Jesus seems too weary, do not turn to the inspirational quotes on your wall or on your fridge or in your wallet. No. You turn to the Bible, and you turn to Isaiah 40. He says, here is your God. Here is your God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. And he will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youths, they grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. And they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run. And not grow weary. And they will walk and not be faint. When you're tired, trust God. He will give you the strength to keep trusting. When you're weary, trust God. He will give you strength to keep trusting when you're faint. Trust God. He will give you strength to keep trusting. Hope in the Lord. Because one day, the Lord Jesus will come back. And when he does, he will take us. To the place where literally in every sense of the word we will soar like eagles and we will run and not grow weary and we will walk and not be faint. Let's pray.